Well, I want to begin by welcoming you to First Methodist Mansfield. My name is David, and I serve as one of the pastors here. And uh, regardless of which venue you are in worship uh, this weekend, we're delighted to have you, especially if this is your, your first time here with us. If we can serve or bless you in any way, if we can answer any questions about the life of our church, I want to encourage you to go by the connecting point uh, after the service, and we'd love to, to meet you and, and share more about uh, First Methodist Mansfield. If you are brand new, I'll tell you this, just about who we are and what our life is about. We're about making disciples of Jesus, and when we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, we think about loving God, loving others, and serving the world. Uh, This past week, I was visiting with uh, some friends of mine, and we were talking about that word disciple, and some of them shared with me that that's kind of an intimidating word. What does it it really mean to be a disciple? And, And this is how I think of it. I think a disciple of Jesus is someone who follows Jesus and helps other people follow Jesus. I think it's as simple as that. It's someone who follows Jesus and helps other people follow Jesus. And that's, that's what our life is about. That's what this church is about. Uh, and so if you're brand new, uh, that's a snapshot of, of who we are. Uh, we've been in a series the last couple of weeks called Saved. We've been looking at Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bible here uh, today, you can turn there. If you have uh, that on a mobile device, you can uh, launch that up and go to Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. We, we said that the key question that we're looking at in this series is what's next after we say yes to Jesus. So we have this sense that saying yes, becoming a Christian, a disciple, someone who chooses to follow Jesus, whatever language you use for that, that's an important step to start that journey. But what's next after that? Uh, what, What are the next steps after we say yes? And again, we've been looking at Romans 12 because in that letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome uh, many, many years ago, he describes in chapter 12 five components of what it means to live the Christian life. Uh, Five practical applications, if you will, of what that looks like in your life. Now, we spent a few weeks talking about everything that that Paul outlines in the first 11 chapters, uh, which Paul summarizes as being focused on God's mercy and God's grace. And the reason that we spent a couple of weeks looking at that is that we said a proper understanding of that is critical to, what, uh, to understanding what Paul shares in chapter 12. So the theory behind it is very important in understanding the, the practice of it. And this was the illustration that I shared with you last week, that grace is the lens through which Christians are meant to see and experience the world. So the same benefit that someone gets who is in need of glasses, who can't uh, see as clearly as they want, when they slip those on for the first time, is the same benefit that the Christian gets when they have a proper understanding of God's grace. That prior to that, the world may be a little bit fuzzy. There may be some things that that lack a little bit of clarity. But when you put on the glasses of grace, when you understand God's relationship with us, what Jesus has done for us, when when you slip those on, all of a sudden you begin to see your life in a whole new way. You begin to see the world in a whole new way. You see God in a whole new way. And that perspective, those, those lenses, that understanding of grace, is critical to understanding what Paul says are the components of the Christian life. So we started there. And then last week, we, we, we dove into chapter 12 and, and talked about the first component, which Paul describes as being a living sacrifice. It's about offering to God our unconditional surrender, saying, God, all that I have been, all that I am, all that I will be, all that I have, I offer it up to you, and my life is now about serving you. 
which we said to some of us just sounds crazy. <laughs> like we, we, we're, we're comfortable with saying, Lord, here's a portion. Here's this bit. You have this time. You have this amount of my resources, this amount of my, the direction of my life. But the idea of offering up an unconditional surrender sounds a bit crazy, which we said we should expect. Because again, if you don't have on the glasses of grace, it, it isn't going to make sense to you. If you don't understand all that you have gained in what Jesus has come to give to you, then it doesn't make sense. But, but what Paul says is that when you have that proper understanding, when you slip on the glasses of, glasses of grace, it, it's actually the most logical step to say, God, in response to all that you have given to me, I now give myself to you. But I want to flesh that out a little bit. What, is it, what does it mean to surrender? What does it mean to sacrifice? And I want to give you a, a few words that will help you understand maybe in, in a little bit more detail what that looks like to surrender and sacrifice. So we start with the word authority. Who has authority in your life? Who has authority in your life to, to direct you and guide you? Who, who offers you leadership in your life? Who do you look to for, for the values that you want to, to live out in your life? Whose character are you seeking to emulate in your life? Who do you look to for wisdom? Whose perspective do you, do you trust? Do you, do you turn to when you find yourself in, in, a, in a moment of crisis or in a frustrating experience or just looking at potential opportunities in your life? Whose wisdom, whose perspective, whose character, whose values, who's leading you, who has authority over you? That, that's a, a few ways of thinking about what it means to surrender to God and, and to sacrifice, to be a living sacrifice, is to, is to turn to God for these things. But let's just assume you're on board, okay? Let's just assume that, that you're now living your life with the glasses of grace on. You, you understand that you have been given this immense gift of, of an opportunity to experience life to the full. And, and you're ready. You're signed up. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to surrender my life to God. Here's the question. How do you tap into the wisdom, the perspective, the characteristics, the heart of God? Like if you're signed up and you really want that to be a part of your life, then, then how exactly do you tap into that so that as you live your life and you go through the month by month and week by week and day by day and minute by minute process of seeking to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, how do you connect to that wisdom, that perspective, the character, the values of God. That's what we're going to talk about today, and that's where Paul goes next in this letter. So I'm going to read to you verse 1, and then we're going to go into to verse 2. So last week, here's what we read. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Again, that's what we were looking at last week. That, that's the what that's what Paul is saying you need to. This is what you need to do. Verse 2, Paul shifts gears into talking about the house. So how do you do that? Here it is. Verse 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, when you hear that phrase, God's will, I don't want you to think about an outcome. I don't want you to think about, well, what is God's will? Should I take this job or this job? Live in this city or this city? Marry this person or this person? That's not, that's not the perspective here. The idea here is, again, the characteristics, the value, the heart. That's the will of God. That's, that's what Paul is talking about here. And he's describing how we tap into that. And how we tap into that, he says, is that we no longer conform to the patterns of this world in which we live 
but instead we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, what in the world does that mean? How exactly do we engage in that process? Let me see if I can make some sense of that for you. So several months ago, I was with my son on a little shopping trip. We went to PetSmart to buy dog food. Uh, my my six-year-old son, uh, again, he was there with me. And if you, if you have a six-year-old, if you've spent time with a six-year-old boy on, on, on any level, you know that one of the things that you are always on the lookout is for entertainment options, you know, anything to keep him engaged. And so on that particular day, we're going to PetSmart. The only thing on the shopping list is to pick up a bag of dog food. This is not the most exciting shopping trip we've ever been on, you know, just to go get the bag of dog food. And so we're there in PetSmart. And, and so I had the, the genius idea, let's go over to the aquarium and uh, aquariums and look at the fish, you know, that, that will be entertaining for the six-year-old. And it was. Uh, you know, we had about 10 minutes of excitement there, which was great. You know, they're looking at the fish, but that backfired on me because 10 minutes of excitement turned into several weeks of begging for a fish tank for our house. And this was a new kind of begging. Like, like he's very good at it, but he tends to, you know, the, the, the enthusiasm that he has tends to diminish over the course of days. So you just kind of have to you know, hold on, you know, and wait for him to forget that he really wanted whatever it is that he's been begging for. But it just kept going on and on and on. There was this, this need that had risen within him that he had to have a fish tank, and he wouldn't let it go. So my wife and I talked about it. Should we get a fish tank? Is this, this, should we get this uh, for our house? And we thought, you know, he'll learn some responsibility. He'll help, he'll help feed the fish. <laughs> Did you already hear this story? <laughs> you know where it's going? So we decide to get the fish tank, and we get the fish tank, and we take it home, and we set it all up, and all of a sudden, this, this need, this desire that he had to, to have a fish tank, it was met. He was done. That's all he wanted was to have a fish tank. His enthusiasm today does not match up with the need that he was sharing in advance of receiving that fish tank. So now... I have a fish tank. It's mine. It, it's, it, it's my fish tank. It's there. Uh, the, the best place we could think of to put it in the house was in my little home office there. And so I take care of, of the fish. I feed the fish, which is a good thing. I mean, they, they need to eat, right? That's one of the things that I do every day is I, as I, I feed the fish. And, and this may sound really weird to you if you don't have an aquarium or, you, you know, you think fish are boring. They are boring. I mean, they don't, they just swim around, but there's something about just sitting there in my office and watching the, it's my happy place just to go there and watch the fish swim. And they just look so happy, but I don't know. I, I enjoy this process, but what I've learned is you have to do more than feed the fish. That's important. I mean, they need to eat every single day. You need to make sure that they have some food. If you're leaving town, you got to figure out what you're going to do, but you have to do more than just feed the fish. You have to take care of, of that tank. And so once a week, we take some of the, well, we, I take some of the water out of the tank and replace it with, with new water. And once a month, did this on Friday night, you take a little bit more water out and replace it with new water and you vacuum up all the waste that has accumulated down the rocks of that tank. If you don't do that, your fish will die. You can do all the good work of making sure they have the proper nutrients, but if you don't take care of that tank, your fish, 
your fish are going to die because eventually their environment will actually become toxic to them and, and, and they'll die. You'll have, you'll have no more fish if you don't, if you don't take care of the tank. Uh, Jesus tells a similar story in Luke chapter 8 and Matthew 13. You can look it up. He tells the story of a farmer who goes out to sow seeds and he talks about the four different areas where the seeds fall. He talks about the hard soil, the hardened path where the, the seeds fall and because the, the ground is not ready to receive that seed, the birds of the air come and, and steal that seed away. There's seed that falls in, in, in the rocky areas and while the, 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 the grass or the dirt has been turned up and it is ready to receive the seed, the, the, the rocks crowd out that growth and it doesn't experience the growth that it should and eventually those seeds die. He talks about seeds that fall in, in good and fertile soil, but, but it falls in places where there are other plants already present, weeds and, and thorns which monopolize the nutrients present in that soil and eventually that seed, Jesus says, that seed dies as well. But then, then there's the fourth area where the seed falls, where the ground, the ground is good ground. The, the dirt has been turned over. The rocks have been removed. The, the weeds and the thorns have been taken away. And in that ground, when that seed is placed there, that ground grows and, and experiences tremendous, tremendous growth. So what's the idea behind both of these metaphors, both of these illustrations? The idea is simply this, that your environment matters. Your environment matters. If life is the goal, if the goal is to experience what Jesus refers to as the full life, the abundant life, then your environment matters. If growth is the goal, if you want to be more tomorrow than you are today, if you want to move forward in this process of being a living sacrifice, of tapping into the heart, the characteristics of God, if growth is the goal, then your environments matter. And it's a reminder that we often find ourselves in an environment that is toxic to our souls that is actually choking off the growth that God longs to see and we long to see in our life because of the rocks and the weeds and the thorns that surround us every single day. Here's how Chip Ingram says in his book, True Spirituality. He says, the gate to your heart, and remember, you live from your heart. The gate to your heart is your mind. The most important decision you make every day is what you allow to go into your mind. And so Paul says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is the gate that, that decides what gets to influence your heart and the direction of your life. But how do you test the security of that? I mean, like if I say right now, in the next minute, the, the only thing I don't want you to do is please, please don't think about elephants. Not, not for, even for a moment. Don't think about elephants. How are you doing with that goal? You, some of you have lost completely. Between the fish and the elephants, you're planning your next trip to the zoo. You, you got nothing more to give to the sermon. Yeah, there, there's this sense where how, how in the world do you test the security of that? And especially given the fact that we live in a world where every single moment of the day we're surrounded by thousands of messages seeking to influence us and shape us and direct us down a particular path. How in the world do you even begin to build and secure that gate that, that keeps things from influencing your mind? Let me just give you a few categories of influences in your life. That'll, maybe I'll help you think about this. The first category would be your relationships. 
So we all have relationships, and relationships are one of the most influential things in our life. Many of us would say who we are today is a result of this good, encouraging, affirming relationship. We, we have celebrations. If, if I were to ask you about your life and how you got where you are today, you, you'd tell me a name. And you tell me a great story of a relationship that blessed you. But some of us have relationships that have taken us in a different direction. Relationships have a tremendous influence on our life. We think about the media that surrounds us every single day, most of which we have no control over. I mean, short of locking ourselves in our, in our bedrooms and shutting off all electronic devices, there's, there's no way to avoid much of the media that influences us every single day. And yet... Within this category, we'd add those things that we intentionally seek out. It's that TV show that we just cannot help but want to see each and every week. It's that news channel that we turn to on a regular basis. It's that, it's that movie that we paid someone to go see and entertain us if, if for only an hour and a half or, or two hours. It's the things that we seek out, the stories that we hear that we intentionally pull into our life. And, and by doing so, we allow to influence our hearts. The, the next category is, is the, what I've labeled as patterns, and this is particularly your patterns of thought. You may have never thought about your thoughts in this way, but that there is a pattern to, to those thoughts. And some of us have patterns of thoughts that, that lead to a very positive place, and some of us have patterns of thought that lead to a very negative place. The, the Bible talks about these as meditations, to meditate, which you may have no idea what that means. If you know how to worry, you know how to meditate. That's all it is. It's just focusing on something. It's allowing something to sit on your heart and to rest in your mind and, and to guide you. It's something that you, you give attention to on a, on a regular basis. That's what it means to meditate. And some of us meditate. We have a pattern of meditating on good things. And some of us have a pattern of meditating on bad things. Some of us can think of someone in our life who may meditate on bad things. And we cannot understand why they continue to do that. But maybe others see that in us. There's, there's patterns to our thoughts, to the way that we think. And then there's our learnings. And this would be the things that you have learned about yourself, the things that you've learned about God, the things you've learned about the world, about other people, about how you engage the world, God, and other people, all these things that you have learned that are as a result of the experiences of your life. And again, some of those you'd look back on and you would say, I am so thankful for this experience in my life. It was a relationship that you had. It was a, an, a, a difficult time that you walked through, came out on the other side of it, a better person. Many of us have, a, have had experiences in our life that have taught us deep and lasting truths, truths that are powerful, truths that are there for us to build a healthy and, and whole life on. But some of us have learned things that are not true about ourselves and about God about the world and about other people. And those falsehoods, those, those fundamental assumptions that are not true actually work in our lives in such a way that they continually undermine the growth that is present. It's like a weed, it's a thorn that's there in the garden that if you don't take it away, the growth that you want to see happen will, will never come. So here's what I wanna invite you to do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share with you a list of questions. And before... Uh, if you're thinking about writing these down, let me just tell you that I've already made them available for you uh, online. Firstmethodsmansfield.org is our church website. If you go to forward slash David, uh, that's a blog that I have on the website. And all these questions that I'm about to read to you are there for you to go check out. And in the next week or so, maybe to spend some time thinking about it. I just want you to hear the questions 
this morning. What are the three to five most important relationships in your life? How are these relationships influencing how you think, what you believe, and the actions that flow out of that understanding? Do you recognize any positive or negative patterns or tendencies in your relationships? What is your mental diet? What forms and types of media do you intentionally seek out for your entertainment or knowledge? What TV shows do you watch? What kind of movies usually catch your interest? Are you reading anything right now? What is it? Is there anything that you're curious about right now? Something that inspires you to want to know more? What are you learning right now? Are you intentional about what you allow into your mind? In the last year, what are the most important insights that you have been able to learn about yourself? Where do you find yourself focusing your time and your attention? What emotions do you find yourself experiencing on a more regular basis than others? Anxiety, encouragement, stress, frustration, peace, anger, confidence, self-doubt? What do you find yourself worrying about on a regular basis? What does that focus say about what you value and the direction you are currently heading in your life? What experiences in your life have had the most profound influence on you? In what ways are those experiences shaping the way you live today? What do you believe to be true about you, about God and about others? Do you think about God on a regular basis? How much time do you spend in prayer? Is prayer a regular part of your life? Where are the weeds? What are the rocks? How open is the soil of your life to growth? Is there anything right now that you know is toxic to your soul and needs to be removed? So this would be my suggestion to you, that you would spend some time this week, take, take 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, and just look over these list of questions and really reflect on what, what the answers are for you in your life. But I want you to know, I know this is not my first rodeo. This is not the first sermon that I've preached. I understand that this is a hard task I've just asked you to consider doing. There are no easy questions here. There's no multiple choice. There's not anything you can knock off. And, oh, okay, I got that one out of the way. This is, this is more than 30 pretty difficult questions. So maybe not everyone's going to do this. So, but, but just for the brave few who will, let me just say a few words. For those who... who who, who this week will take the time to look at these questions and to really think about, about their lives, here's what I want to encourage you to do. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is to simply be honest with yourself. You will not be turning these in. There's no one else who's going to see this. You don't have to submit this before we will let you into church next week. You don't have to talk to me about it. You don't have to talk to anyone about it. The only person you are doing this for is you, and you owe it to yourself to be honest with yourself. It would be so easy to spend that time coming up with all of the excuses why your answer isn't the answer that you would want it to be but you owe it to yourself to be honest with yourself. Now, once you've done that, what you do with that information is up to you. But at least give yourself the opportunity to make the decision that you need to make based on the honest evaluation of that relationship, of that influence, of that pattern of behavior or thought. Just be honest with yourself. Take some time to reflect on what is really true about each of those questions. And I'll give you just one specific example of this that has come up on a continual basis with people who come and visit with me. If you are a married man or a married woman and you have a relationship with someone of the opposite sex who is not your spouse, that is not heading in a good direction, you owe it to yourself to be honest with yourself about that. Just be honest about it. Now, what you do with that information 
It's up to you. It's up to you what you do with it. But be honest with yourself about it, about the influence that it has on your life, and be honest with yourself about the direction that it is taking you in your life so that you can make a wise decision about what you do with that relationship, that behavior, whatever it might be in your life. Just be honest with yourself. In other words, don't pretend like what you know to be true isn't true. Do you realize that human beings have an incredible capacity for self-deception? And all the time, we pretend like things aren't true that we know are true. We know they're true. So be honest with yourself about how the things in your environment are shaping you and guiding you and, and pointing you down a particular path and ask yourself the question, is that really the place that I want to go? Just, just be honest with yourself. And by the way, as you're working through this and you're thinking about, maybe you're considering, well, when do I need to ask for help? When do I need to involve someone else in this process? I was thinking about that this, this week, and this is what I came up with. If I can't trust myself to remember my honest evaluation of a relationship or a behavior or a thought pattern, whatever it might be, if I can't trust myself to remember that, that's when I need to tell somebody. That's when I need to go to somebody that I trust, someone who I know loves me and wants nothing but the best for me, and to say, this is an issue that I have in my life, and I don't trust myself to remember that it is not good for me, and I need help. And some of us may be in that place where we look at that behavior, that relationship, whatever it might be, and we would just simply say, I'm not sure I trust myself to remember this. I need to ask someone for help. I need to ask someone for help. And that person may already be there, prepared, ready to go, if you just have the courage to talk to them and say, I need some help. So that's the first thing. Be honest with yourself. Here's the second thing. If you walk through this process, I want you to remember what the goal is. The goal is not isolation. I, I, I went to that revival meeting when I was 13, you know, go burn your CD collection, don't talk to anybody, you know, that's not the goal. The goal is not isolation. Remember, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus and helps others follow Jesus. The goal is engagement with the world that God loves in the same way that God loves you. The goal is tapping into the heart of God, the characteristics of God, the wisdom of God, so that we can carry that in our lives to others. So the goal is not to, I, I'm not saying don't ever go to the movies again, burn your CD collection, get rid of all of your relationships, don't leave the house. But rather, simply consider the way your environment is influencing you and make wise decisions about what you invest in, what you allow into your mind, and what you allow to influence your heart. Because the goal is not isolation. The goal is full engagement with God's world in such a way that you bring the wisdom, the heart, the characteristics that define God into your own life, and you share that with others. And maybe the last thing I would say is simply this. If you walk through this and you got 10 things that you don't like about the influences in your life, you look around and you say, I got five rocks over here. There's this, there's this weed that is totally out of control. I have no idea how to get rid of it. I've tried everything that I know of. I can't get rid That thing will not go away. You, you've got many different things in your life that you think, I, I really need to address this. Don't try to attack them all at once. Pick one. Choose a, a length of time, 10 days, 20 days, 40 days, that's in here somewhere, 40 days, take some time and commit yourself to changing that one thing 
and see what kind of change that brings in your life. See what kind of momentum that might create in your life to simply address that one thing and to begin move forward in, in changing the environment in which you live and in doing so, changing the direction of your life. If you're really serious about this, if, if, you've, if you've put on the glasses of grace and, and you really want to present your life as a living sacrifice, you want to follow Jesus and you want to help others follow Jesus, then one of the things that we have to do is to take the time to look at our environment and ask ourselves the question, where is this taking me? Is it taking me to the place that I want to go? Is it taking me in the direction that I really want my life to be about? Or is it, or is it somehow, maybe I don't even know it, is it somehow undermining the growth that God longs to see in, in my life. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we continue to pray, we will, we will every week, Lord, that, that your grace would be revealed to us, that we would understand in the fullest way possible, Lord, how much you love us, how much you love our world, and how much you long to see healing and reconciliation and forgiveness and so many things come into our life and come into our world. And that, Lord, you are, you are crazy enough to believe that that can happen through our work and the work of your spirit. We thank you for that gift, Lord, for involving us in what you're doing in the world. And, and so we pray for wisdom for all of us. Help us to make wise decisions about our relationships, about our patterns of thought, Lord, about the things that we've learned. Help us to root out thorns and weeds and things that have become toxic so that we can grow, Lord. Grow as you want us to and find the life that you long for us to find. Help us, God, because we need it. We need your grace. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.